Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title for today is Jesus Promises the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. And I think this is a really important passage to study because people are searching for power today. They're really looking for power. I think that's why superhero movies are so popular. Every time you turn around, there's another superhero. They're inventing new ones now, superheroes. And the whole idea of this superhero usually is that a regular person can be transformed into some kind of special power. Think Captain America. You know, they injected him with all this stuff. Well, I guess they do that all the time now, and the athletes and everything. But anyway, but they injected him all this stuff, and they zapped him, and he got this power and used it for good. Uh, or Spider-Man. He didn't intentionally, but the spider, remember, he bites him and zaps him and he starts to shake and he all of a sudden ends up with these powers. And uh, even the youth culture, the younger kids, I think there's that, that search for power. I think that's why Harry Potter and, and Star Wars were, are so popular. And I think there's some negative spiritual connotations with both of those things. But, but that's, I think, why the youth are drawn to it. That many movies and TV shows and books, there's a desire to be more than, than they're experiencing in their life. And not just the youth culture. You walk down the streets of New Hope. You walk, take a walk out there and you'll see everything from yoga to the occult. And there's so many empty promises with, with the whole yoga thing that they promise peace and power to handle stressful situations. I'm very good friends with some yoga instructors and they're some of the most uh, miserable people I've ever met, you know, and, and not mean, but just unhappy and, and, and no peace because there is no peace because it's not God's spirit that yoga uses. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to do the stretching. There's nothing wrong with the physical stretching, but most yoga is, involves more than just stretching. There's a spiritual connection, and that is not God's spirit that's connected to the Eastern religions and the Eastern gods, which we know what they really are. It's called demons in the Bible, all right? And that's what it's connected to. So Christians shouldn't have anything to do with any kind of spiritual yoga. I'm not talking about the physical stretching, but anything beyond that is uh, very, very anti-Christian. Uh, it's, it's not God's spirit. And even with the occult, where there is power given, whenever there's power given in the occult, there's always a cost involved. People that, that are involved in the occult and they get these powers and use these powers, there's always... Satan always takes something in return. There's a cost involved. It's never just given freely. But Jesus promises real power, real power. And the only way to true transformation and true peace is through what Jesus promises us. We're in Mark 14. Actually, we're jumping into Mark, John 14 today. But we're actually in Mark 14. And we saw how Jesus predicted Peter's denial. And then we jumped over to John chapter uh, 13 where he predicted the denial also. And, but right after that, something not in the book of Mark, Jesus gives some real keys to survive and thrive in crisis. So we're going to go back to Mark 14 in a few weeks, but I just wanted to do the parallel passage and do the follow-up. And we saw last week that Jesus promised, after Peter's denial, he promised heaven and how to get there. We talked about faith and focus. If you weren't here, get the CD or listen to the, the podcast. But today we're going to see, right after that, he promises the Holy Spirit's power and promises us the Holy Spirit and the power that comes with that. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for bringing us here today. We're talking about surviving and thriving in the midst of crisis, and we all are either in crisis or coming out of crisis or soon to go into a crisis. We know that's part of the human struggle that we have. But Lord, we're thankful for the, the, the promises that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray for your mercy and grace. And I pray that each one of us would, would understand the power that we have in, in Christ and would also experience the peace that we can have. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's pick it up with, in John chapter 14. Verses 15 to 18, where we see Jesus makes a promise here. He says, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, and now we have the mystery of of the Trinity completed. One God existing in three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Godhead, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's taught from Genesis through Revelation. It's not something new. Everybody says, well, Jesus came up with this Trinity thing. No, no. Genesis, at the very beginning, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where God said, Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. That little ending is kind of appropriate for our society today too, right? But, but the, we see the, that God's Holy Spirit, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all the way from Genesis to Revelation. In fact, in John 1, John 1, back a couple of chapters here, John 1, 1 through 3, talking about creation again, says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word is a representative of Christ here, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was with God, and he was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Through Jesus, all things were made. Remember back in Genesis, let us make man, man, let us make man in our image. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And we see the Trinity taught from Genesis. We see it in John. Over and over again, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. We just know that God is a being who exists in three persons. And one example I often use is the sun. We have the sun itself, then you have the, the light rays, and then you have the heat. And three different parts all make up the sun. Any way you can figure it out, but, but the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit clearly taught. We come to the Father through the Son and the Holy Spirit, who's the one who lives in us, which we'll talk about a little bit more here. Now, what the Holy Spirit will do, back in John chapter 14, what the Holy Spirit will do, he says in verse, verses 20, start with verse 25, all this... I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. The Holy Spirit is, gonna, is, is, gonna, is here to give us peace. 
peace with God because we've made peace with God. But he's going to give us peace because we have the Holy Spirit and we also have God's word. It says here the Holy Spirit will make sure that we have the words of God, that we have the words of Christ. He's going to remind them of everything. That's why you look at verse 25, uh, verse 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. How do we know we can trust God's word. How do we know that the New Testament really is God's word just as the Old Testament is God's word? Because the promise that the Holy Spirit was going to speak to the the apostles, they're the ones who wrote the New Testament, going to speak to them and remind them of everything Jesus said. They weren't just sitting around, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, they were just sitting around there trying to remember, or they passed the stories down and one day somebody wrote them down. No, no, the apostles wrote the word of God because the Holy Spirit reminded them exactly what Jesus said and he led each of them to write just what they wanted write, what, what God wanted written. That's why it is written. Because that's the confidence that we can have. That's why in Second uh, Peter 1, 20 and 21, he says, Peter says, Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It was written by the Holy Spirit. He's the one who reminded the apostles. He's the one who led each one. He's the one. Who, that's why each of the different gospels have a different emphasis because the Holy Spirit had a different purpose for writing to the Jews, writing to the Gentiles, writing to the different people. And 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 that's that's the Holy Spirit who wrote it. The Holy Spirit has written this word. Then in John sixteen seven to eleven, there's something else that the Holy Spirit does. In John, go ahead, uh, just a couple of chapters here. In seven. John sixteen seven to 11 says this, But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because of the prince of this world, now stands condemned. The work of the Holy Spirit continues. It's going to be a work of conviction. Conviction. He's going to convict the world. He's going to convict Satan. As in a judgment sense, he's convicting them. But he's going to convict us in a different way. There's three different convictions here, and one of them is for us. It's a positive way in regard to righteousness. Why? Because Jesus is no longer here. He says, I'm, the Holy Spirit's going to be convicting you of righteousness. He's going to show you what's right. He's going to speak to your heart about what's right. Because why? Jesus is going to be up in heaven, ascended in heaven, sitting next to the Father. So the Holy Spirit comes, and instead of one person that, like when Jesus is here, he's just one person. The Holy Spirit can go into everybody's heart at the same time. That's what the Holy Spirit can do and speak to everybody at the same time and and convict us of righteousness. And this is a different conviction for a Christian. The world's convicted. It's, it's judgment. For us, conviction, it's, it's conviction is to uh, convict us of something and, and, and turn us away from it. It's not condemnation like, like, like judgment and condemnation. It's a conviction. That's why in 1 Corinthians 11.32 it says, the end of our communion passage, which we're going to look at a little bit later, verse 32 says, when we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. See, the world, if you're, a, if you're not a Christian, God judges. 
it's condemnation. When you become a Christian, you cannot be condemned anymore. We are disciplined. We experience God's conviction. The purpose is to discipline us and turn us back again. We don't have to be afraid of that lightning bolt out of the sky. No, God disciplines us. He's trying to speak to our heart and convict us and turn us from something. It's very, very different than the world's conviction. Okay? So now when we become a Christian, we can never be the same again. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit's conviction. Now we have a, a, a voice speaking to us, convicting us on a constant basis. And he says, don't do this. Or you should be doing that. Or you can no longer enjoy that anymore. You can't do that anymore. We can't enjoy sin anymore. It's empty to us. It, it, it's not the same. We start to see it, what it really is. I really did that. I used to try to turn to this to enjoy myself or to find fulfillment. We see what it really is. It's empty. It's a lie. It's a deception. It's something that's actually destroying us. Now, we receive the Holy Spirit at salvation. The moment you turn your life over to Christ, the moment you say, God, I believe Jesus died for my sin. I repent of that sin. I don't want it anymore. I ask you to forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus to forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus to wipe that away. I put my faith in what he did on the cross in my place as a substitute for me, as a ransom for me, I put my faith in Jesus. The moment you do that and give your life to God, the Holy Spirit comes inside. Acts 2, 36 to 39 says this. When the, the apostles are preaching in, in uh, verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The moment we put our faith in Christ, we repent of sin, we put our faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he talks about baptism there. The reason is, is because baptism is very, very important. In fact, in the New Testament, if you watch, people became a Christian and they were baptized very quickly. Baptism does not save us. It has nothing to do with salvation, but it's a, a, a proof of our salvation. It's a witness of our salvation. And that's why in our culture, we've kind of gotten away from the whole baptism thing. And a lot of history, you know, a lot of traditions have gotten away from baptism. That's wrong. Baptism is very, very important. When you go under the water, you're showing people that you died to your old self. You come out again, you're showing people that you're a new person in Christ. If you've never been baptized as a believer, and I'm talking about baby, dedication, and all that stuff. If you've never been baptized as a believer, you've put your faith in Christ, never been baptized, you're missing something. Something awesome. It doesn't save you, but it's powerful. It's a powerful gift that God has given us. We're going to have baptism this summer. See me. We're getting scheduled. We've got about 10 people already lined up to get baptized. See me. We'll get you lined up. It's an awesome, awesome experience. But that is not when you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the Holy Spirit the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ. The moment you repent, put your faith, the Holy Spirit comes inside. Something powerful happens. Think Spider-Man, the last Spider-Man. Remember that radioactive spider bites him? And remember, he's like, ow, and something you know, inside the DNA is all going crazy and everything is happening. And he didn't know what happened. He didn't really know what happened. He knew he got bit by a spider. He didn't really know what happened. But that's what happens. We put our faith in Christ. The Holy Spirit comes in. We really don't know really what's happened yet. 
But all of a sudden, Spider-Man could, boom, shoot webs and climb and jump and do all these crazy things. And, and spiritually, it's the same thing. We're going to be able, all of a sudden, we're a different person. And, and as we grow more mature in Christ, we realize more and more the supernatural power that we have through the Holy Spirit. We receive the Holy Spirit salvation, and we, we, the, we become a child of God. A child of God. In fact, in Romans eight fifteen it says... For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit in us comes in, we can now call God our Father, and, and he, the Spirit speaks to us, he testifies to us. The Holy Spirit speaks to our heart, he speaks to us, he convicts us. When we do something wrong, he leads us. He shows us what he wants us to do. The word comes alive. Remember when you became a Christian and before the Bible was just kind of like words on a page? And you're like, what's the big deal with this book? And all of a sudden you're a Christian and, and the Holy Spirit's in and it just like comes alive. It's like fire on the page. You're like, well, how did I ever miss this? It's like speaking. The living word is speaking to us. And that, not only that, the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our life. Fruit in our life. Now, as Christians, our spiritual growth, we have the Holy Spirit, but our spiritual growth depends on how we respond to the Holy Spirit. Very important. We have the Holy Spirit, but how we respond to him on an ongoing basis is very, very important to our spiritual growth. Ephesians 4.30 says we can grieve the Holy Spirit. It says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. We can grieve. How do we grieve? By sinning. That's why when we sin, we feel miserable. You know, when we do something we know that we're not supposed to do, it's against God's perfect plan for our life, and we just feel miserable. You know why? Because the Holy Spirit inside of us has been grieved. And if he's grieved, we're going to be grieved. We're going to be grieved. That's why he's been grieved. He's trying to get our attention. He wants us to know how God feels about what we just did. We can no longer do the things we used to do because they're now empty and we feel convicted. We can no longer watch the shows we used to watch and the movies. I'll watch a movie now that I watched when I was, you know, 30 years ago. And, and I'll be, I watched this? Click, shut it off, you know, pop the DVD out, you know. I, I laughed at this. But now the Holy Spirit has, has worked in my heart and I can't do it anymore. It's, it's, that, that's what happens. But if we grieve the Spirit, if we watch this stuff, it grieves the Spirit. And if we keep on doing it, we can quench the Spirit. First Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. That's the rest of it. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Talking about God's word. Don't treat it with contempt. When we ignore the Holy Spirit and we ignore his word, that is disobedience. And that puts out, that quenches, that, put, that picture is putting out a fire. It puts out the Spirit's fire. I think of the retreat. The teenagers just all got back from a retreat and they were sharing last week. They're all pumped up. And I've been on a lot of retreats. And it's awesome. You're on a, you go on a retreat and you come back and you're on fire. We're on fire spiritually, whether it's a men's retreat or a woman's retreat or a youth retreat or anything spiritual like that. We come home and we're on fire. But if we neglect God's word, if we neglect the, the, the spirit's leading in our life, what happens? That fire fizzles. The fire goes out. The heart grows cold. And that's what happens. 
It's vital that we keep that fire going. And how do we do that? By giving the Holy Spirit control of our life. Romans 8, 5 says this. It says, those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We have to make a choice. Wherever we set our mind on is the direction our life is going to go. The direction our spiritual growth is going to go. It's like a TV channel. If you, you're watching TV and you set the channel on garbage, what's going to happen to your mind and heart? Garbage, right? Garbage in, garbage out, right? But, but if we set it on, if we, if we set our heart and our mind on spiritual things, then it's going it's to have a whole different thing. When we set it on God's word and we set it on worship and the things of the spirit and fellowship. When we do that, it transforms us. It's very important that we give the Holy Spirit that control and we also must allow the Holy Spirit to fill us daily. We've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, in fact. Ephesians 5.18 Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a command to allow God to fill us on a regular basis. Very, very important. We, when you become a Christian, when we became a Christian, it's like we got the Holy Spirit inside of us. And Think of like a picture of a cup. We get this cup inside of us, but every day, the cup stays there, but every day we have to allow the Holy Spirit to fill that cup. That's what he's talking about. How? Through the praise and thanks and speaking to one another and, and spiritual things. Once again, the retreat. You go on that retreat, and what do you spend the whole time on that retreat doing? Focusing on God and, and the fellowship, and, and that's why you have this spiritual high. A spiritual high. I can't explain it. You can only experience it. But if you've been on these retreats, you've been in places where you're really focused on God for days, even a week at a time, a mission trip, you know what I'm talking about? You come back spiritually high. Why? Because the Holy Spirit has now filled that cup. You, are being, you have been filled with the Spirit. But it's important that we keep that cup being refilled. We can't just let it drain until I go on a next trip or a mission trip or something. And, and that's what we often do. Are we allowing the Holy Spirit to fill us, and to control our life. Are we allowing that? The proof is in the fruit of the Spirit. Remember I talked about the fruit of the Spirit and allowing the Spirit to fill us. All right, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Are we seeing that in our life? That's the proof of, the, of letting the Spirit fill us and setting our mind on. That's a, or is there something in our life that is grieving or quenching the Spirit? In fact, let's back up to those, the, the, the things that will quench the Spirit and grieve the Spirit. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft... Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is there something in our life, sin, some disobedience that's quenching or, or grieving the Holy Spirit? Or it could simply be neglect. Remember, I've talked about this before. If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. Sometimes it's just neglect. We get too busy. 
We're not even sinning, but we're just too busy. We're just distracted. We're not in communion. That's what communion is all about, reconnecting. We're not in communion. We don't have that power and peace anymore because we've neglected that, that, we've neglected that time with the Spirit. Letting him fill us and letting him work in our life. We've forgotten the key to our spiritual life. It reminds me of a story. Uh, when I was in high school, we had a, a swim party. At the end of the swim team season, it was in February. And where I grew up, Niagara Falls area, very, very cold. And we, after the party was over, we all went out and started getting our cars. And one of the girls, we had a co-ed team, one of the girls came in and said, my car won't start, my car won't start, it was too cold, it was so cold, the car won't start. So... We all knew what that meant. We're going to go off. The coach says, okay, we're going to go push start this car. We're going to go push start it. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. But, uh, but the, when it was a manual, manual, did I say that right? Manual, you can push to start a car. And you could jump it, but even it's so cold, it's even hard to do that. But push start usually worked. And so what you do is you get in the car and you put your foot on the clutch and you put it into gear. But you keep your foot on the clutch and everybody starts pushing that car. And you get it going fast enough, you Pop the clutch. You put, take your foot off the clutch and boom, it starts to run and you, they can drive away and recharge their car. And so we all, get, these are all swimmers, we all go out there and we didn't have gloves or anything. We were too cold for that, but we'd have our jackets on. And we start pushing. He's, he, he gets, uh, she gets in the car and the coach says, get out of that car. I'm going to do it. You, you, you know, you, you need a man to do this, you know. <laughs> and she got out. She was all sad, you know. I'll never forget her face when he yelled at her. And so he gets in and he says, oh, you start pushing, boys. You know? So we start pushing. We have our hand on this freezing metal and then this, this car. I remember pushing, pushing. He pops the clutch. Nothing happens. <gasps> He goes, start push, push again, push again. We're all slipping, sliding. There's ice all over the road. We're just pushing, pushing, pop, slush. Nothing happens. Turn, turns it around. We push it back the other. We pushed it. I don't know how. We pushed it a mile or something on this freezing cold. And we're like, this is not working. There's something wrong. And we're, and all of a sudden, he opens the window and he's like, oh no. And he puts his head down on the steering wheel. And we're like, what? What, what happened? We're the one having a heart attack. You should be having a heart attack. You know, he goes, I forgot to turn the key on. And the girl who's standing there said, even I knew how to, would know to do that. Ooh, she got him good. She got him good. Turn the key on, boom, boom, it's gone. Everything's fine. But spiritually, we do the same thing, don't we? We forget the key, letting the Holy Spirit fill us and control us and set our minds. And, you know, we forget the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit. We're frustrated because we don't have that key on. We don't have that power and peace because we don't have the key. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Maybe here at 10, you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. And this power, you're, I'm talking this foreign language right now because you don't even know what I'm talking about. You've never, you can hear me, but you've never experienced the power and the peace of the Holy Spirit. But you can experience that today by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, by giving your life to him, you can have that right now. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If you will believe in Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, give your life to Jesus, repenting of sin and asking for forgiveness, trusting in his death on that cross and his resurrection from the dead for new life, if you will put your faith in him, the Holy Spirit will come inside. You will get that spider bite the moment you pray that prayer. You will become a different person. And every day you're going to be transformed in new ways that you never thought possible. That's what communion is all about. 
is connecting with God. We're communing. We're connecting with God, putting our faith in him. Or if we've already done that, it's reconnecting or staying connected. That's what communion is all about. Staying connected and reconnecting. In 1 Corinthians 11, as just before we go into communion, I just want to read the passage. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23, it talks about it. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. What is it? It's remembering the bread, remembers the body, the cup, remembers the blood of Christ. How we take it here, we just, there's no right or wrong way to take it, but we just have some time of quiet and prayer and some music, worship music playing. And when you're ready, you can come up and get it and take it back. Um, you can take it alone. You can take it with your family, you can take it with someone else, it doesn't matter. There's no right or wrong way. The idea is communing between you and God. But there's reasons why we shouldn't take it here. And one is, if we don't recognize the body of Christ, and that, that's because we're not a Christian yet. He's talking about someone who hasn't put their faith in Christ and understand what the body and blood of Christ really is. If you've never given your life to Jesus, then wait. We don't keep track of who's coming up. We don't videotape. We don't take attendance. Nothing like that. It's just between you and God. The second reason we shouldn't is if there's something in our life that God is convicting us of and, and we're not willing to surrender it. Not saying we're not struggling with something because nobody could come up, right? But if there's something in our life, we say, God, you can't have it. I know what your word says, but I don't care. You can't have it. I know what you were telling me to do, but I'm not going to do it. That's... that's so we, we shouldn't take the Lord's Supper. But I hope that this morning we can all commune with Jesus. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, let this be the day that you take that step of faith. If there's something in your life that you need to surrender, let this be the time to surrender it so that we can be in close communion with God. So we can experience his power and peace in our lives. Let's pray. How is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? Maybe we've never put our faith in Jesus and given our life to him, but the Holy Spirit is talking to us, speaking to us, pulling us, calling us. With a voice that you can't ignore. That this is a day of salvation for you. This is the day that you receive life. 
because you received Christ today. You can pray to him right where you're sitting. He'll hear your thoughts, the prayer of your heart. Just say, God, I do want to put my faith in Jesus. I want the Holy Spirit in me, your Holy Spirit in me. I repent of my sin. Everything in my life that's ever against your word or your purpose or your plan for my life, I repent of that. I ask you to forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in Jesus who died on the cross for me who paid for my sin, who took it on himself. I put my faith in him. I give my life to you, God. I surrender my life to you. If you prayed that prayer, then something amazing has happened to you. You're in for the shock of your life. It's awesome. The Spirit of God is living in you, and you can now commune with God as your Father anytime through His Son Jesus. And you can take communion today, which is symbolic of the new relationship and communion and connection you have with God as your Father. I want to encourage you to let somebody know, whether it's me or someone else here, let somebody know that you've put your faith in Jesus so that we can encourage you and be excited for you. Don't keep it a secret. For those of us who've already put our faith in Christ, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to us? What is he calling us? To do, to stop doing. What step of faith or obedience is he calling us to take? Who is he calling us to forgive? or to ask forgiveness of. As we go to this time of communion, let's just have some time of prayer and hearing from God. And then as God leads, come up and take the the cup and the bread. Father, I pray that your spirit would fill us We ask for your mercy and grace to be filled in a special way this morning.
so that we can know your power and your peace. Your purpose for our lives. That we would touch many others with the love of Jesus Christ. We pray that in Jesus' name.